The opinions expressed on the Rob Report are the opinions of the host participating callers and or listener emails, text and or letters, and are not necessarily the opinions of WDAY or Forum Communications. WDYAM 93.1 FM. We have got a uh, we got kind of a busy show today. There's a lot going on. Uh, the the ballot measure to ban non-citizen voting in, in North Dakota or, or explicitly ban it. I it's already it's already illegal, but I, I by my reading of the law, it's already illegal. But the supporters of the measure are saying it's not explicit enough. Their measure qualified for the ballot, so that's happening today. We can uh, make we can talk about that. Uh, we have some um, some good guests coming up. Secretary of State Al Jagger, who he's been in office since he was first elected in 1992. Uh, he's been in office for a long time, uh, but this year he has to run as an independent because of uh, a lot of unpleasant things that happened earlier this year with the. Republican endorsed candidate Will Gardner. There's not going to be a Republican on the ballot in North Dakota for the Secretary of State's office. It's going to be Al Jagger uh, as an independent. We'll talk with Al uh, about that. Also, coming up at 1.30, Ben, we've been talking a lot about civil asset forfeiture in the state. I'm going to be talking, I'm going to have a debate with Lad Erickson. Lad is a McLean, is the state's attorney for McLean County. Uh, he regularly uses civil asset forfeiture he thinks it's an important tool for for law enforcement and but when i say civil asset forfeiture that's the thing we've been talking about it in recent weeks where the cops even in the absence of a conviction even in the even after an acquittal where they're just keeping the, the person's stuff uh i think it's wrong lad thinks it's right we'll have a, a debate about that coming up at 1 30 uh which i think will be very interesting then he actually sent me a um a copy of a of a of a complaint, like a complaint in a, a civil asset a, asset forfeiture case, a civil okay. forfeiture case, and you know at the top of these legal documents it's always like the plaintiff and the defendant, which in right. criminal cases the plaintiff is the people, the state of North Dakota, versus the defendant, who which is whoever's accused of the crime. I'm reading this is this is from the top of the complaint he sent me. It's the state of North Dakota versus. $24,832 in U.S. currency. What? The defendant is the money. The defendant is the money. Yeah. How does that work? Like, Because they initiate, they initiate the forfeiture action not against the individual, but against the property itself. And they're basically accusing the property of a crime. Okay. So does the property get a lawyer or like what? How, how does that work even? Yeah. Uh, well, basically what happens is, is my understanding, and maybe Lad can explain it to me more. Um, basically, they, you know, in, in the complaint, like I'm reading from this complaint here, they're saying that the money, uh, they are alleging that the money is proceeds of illegal drug transactions based on the following, and then they lay out their case. Basically, if you want your money back, you got to go into court and prove that's not true. Okay. So not only are they initiating a proceeding against your property, whether it's a pile of cash or your vehicle or your home or whatever it is, to get it back, you got to go in and prove that they're wrong. Otherwise, they keep it. 
I don't know how that's in keeping with notions about justice. I don't know how that's in keeping with notions about innocent until proven guilty. But Lad Erickson, who's a friend of mine and who I like very much, he thinks it's an important tool. We'll let him make his case. Uh, that's coming up at one thirty. Um, let's see what else is going on. Oh, Heidi Heitkamp talking about the Russians. It's it's the Did you see this headline, Ben? Which one? The uh, the, the headline Heidi Heitkamp and the, and the Russians are in the elections. What's that? They're yeah. thinking that. Oh boy. Oh boy. Yeah. So Senator Heitkamp gave a uh, an interview with the Fargo Forum editorial board recently, and in the interview. They asked her about a Lloyd Omdahl, kind of a baddie Lloyd Omdahl column. I, I don't know. I'm having trouble in recent years following what Lloyd Omdahl is getting at a lot of the time. I, he doesn't seem it doesn't seem real coherent. Um, I, I I don't know. It's it's not just that I disagree with him. I I don't really understand what he's trying to say. But in a recent column. I think he was trying to, to to sort of allege that Russia is going to meddle. And he I mean he's talking about it like it's just a fact that like Russia's already here, they're already meddling, they're gonna form groups with with front name like cover names like North Dakotans for prosperity. And I don't know if he really thinks that's a real group in North Dakota. I don't know, or, or what groups he he cites absolutely no evidence, but he asserts that Russia's here and they're already trying to meddle in our election. So the editorial board asked Senator Heitkamp about that. Now, Patrick Springer then wrote a wrote a story about her response. This is how his story it's, his story's been updated. It's been updated since. But here's how, what his story said originally. I quote, Heitkamp responding to a question during a meeting with the forum editorial board said she believes the Russians could try to intercede on Kramer's behalf on the race. I would be a fool if I didn't think that was true. So essentially, in, 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 at least according to the original story, now it's since been clarified. Um, the apparently the High Camp campaign got in touch with Springer, uh, and Springer notified me as well because he saw that I had I had written about it on sayanythingblog.com, uh, and they had to go to the transcript. And according to the transcript, what what High Camp's now clarifying is she's saying she didn't think that Russia would intercede on that. She didn't say that Russia would necessarily intercede on behalf of Kramer. Right, that's that's her argument, and if you, I and okay. I I do think that I do think that clarification is fair. Mm-hmm. If, I I posted the whole that part of the transcript up at sayanythingblog.com if you want to read it. Uh, but here's here's the question. The question is, can you talk a little bit about Russia? Excuse me, can you talk a little about Russia? Maybe just a political question first. Are you concerned that the Russians will try to influence the North Dakota Senate race? Heidi Heitkamp's response: I would be a fool if I didn't think that. Um. And then she goes on and she talks about it more. So, to be fair, their question didn't specifically mention Kramer. Now, if you read her overall response, it seems pretty clear to me that if there was any, she thinks if there was any Russian meddling, it would be on behalf of Kramer. But her campaign is saying she didn't explicitly say that. Fine. That's that's fair enough. But then I guess, what are we left with, Ben? Is she saying that she thinks Russia might meddle on her behalf? Right. I you need to be a bit more specific how you think they're going to meddle if you say that you, that they're going to meddle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I guess, and it, it, listen, to be fair, uh, there, it has been a consistent Democratic talking point that Russians are out, you know, in favor of Trump and in favor of Republicans. I don't think Russia, I don't think Russia, to the extent that they are trying to meddle in our elections, I don't think they're trying to meddle so much on behalf of Donald Trump. I don't think they're trying to meddle so much on behalf of Republicans generally. I think they're just trying to sow chaos. I think that's it. And so they they saw promoting Trump 
as a way to sow chaos. They knew that that if if Trump became this this upset victor in the election, that it would create a lot of chaos. And it's hard to argue with that because it has. It has created a lot of chaos. And then the subsequent obsession with with Russia's meddling has indeed, I think, even further fulfilled their goal. I, I don't I don't think that Russia really did anything to, to change the outcome of the 2016 election one way or the other. I really don't. I mean, at most, we have some evidence of, of some ads. There was some hacking. I mean, the, the what really influenced the election was Hillary Clinton's campaign. <laughs> you know, it was it was a shoddy campaign. She was a flawed candidate. Uh, and that's I, I think that's what had to do with it. But in terms of Heidi Heitkamp, like why? I don't even understand why she would take a bite at this apple. I mean, why even go there? Like, if they ask you, do you think the Russians are going to try to influence your Senate race? Just say, you know what? You got to be careful. You got to keep everything secure. You got to keep your computer secure. You got to keep your email secure. And then just leave it at that. So, Rob, do you think that not necessarily even with like the Heidi Kramer race, but do you think the Russians will try to influence this election too at all? Or do you think it's just a bunch of, you know, they're starting stuff up? I honestly, at this point, I think all Russia has to do is just kind of make a show. Honestly, like if they just make a show, just just like run some ads and just let themselves get busted, the, the, the various talking heads are going to go into such overdrive over it. It won't even matter. I mean, at this point, I don't even think they really have to be coy about it. At this point, I think they just kind of do it sort of wink, wink, nod, nod. And we're going to spend so much time talking about it that it's going to accomplish exactly what they wanted to begin with, which is to sow more discord in the United States, more disunity. That's what it's going to do. I mean, that's, that's why I don't understand this obsession, this absolute obsession with the left over Russia. I mean, I get it. They want to talk about Russia as the reason why they lost in 2016, as opposed to the fact that they had a deeply flawed candidate, as opposed to the fact that their platform of ideas and policies don't resonate in a vast swath of America. I mean, that's reality you know it's it's easier to just blame russia and 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 part of me wonders and and congressman kramer um this is this is how he responded to to what heidi heitkamp had to say about russia he said i quote it sounds like a really pathetic excuse for poor performance in the election in advance and that when i first read this story when i first read springer's story it was uh late yesterday and it was up for a little while and then it came back down and then when it came up again they had added a uh, a comment from congressman kramer so i hadn't seen the comment but that was my first reaction to this too is that the height camp campaign is rattled the height camp campaign is losing right now and you can go all the way back in Heidi Heitkamp's electoral history, all the way back to 2000 when she lost the gubernatorial race against John Hoven. When this candidate is behind, when this candidate feels like she's losing, she makes mistakes. She gets rattled. And I think this Russia thing was, was her being rattled. I think this Russia thing was maybe her thinking of a good way to explain why she would lose ahead of time. I mean, because let's face it, if Heidi Heitkamp loses on the statewide ballot in North Dakota, that is devastating for North Dakota Democrats. They will hold not a single statewide office. The only thing they will have are tiny, tiny minorities in the state legislature. So it's, I mean, it's, if, if Heidi Heitkamp loses, they need a better explanation. 
they, 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 they can't. I mean, because otherwise, where else do they go? They have to just acknowledge that North Dakotans don't want anything Democrats are selling, or at least most North Dakotans. I think it's right. I think it's a preemptive excuse. I think that's what the Height Camp campaign was doing. More to come straight ahead. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be back right after this. Don't go away. Sorry, Ben. I was responding to some of my fans on Twitter. Ah, uh, gotcha. Gotcha. Somebody, somebody is tweeting. goes, I think Rob Port writes random crap just so we can see it in print. You know, like some self-important people just ramble on and on to hear themselves talk. The name of this Twitter user is Resistor, spelled with an O. R-E-S-I-S-T-O-R, which I'm, I'm pretty sure she meant R-E-S-I-S-T-E-R, which would yeah. be one who resists something. A resistor is a an electrical component. <laughs> I, I, I'm pretty sure she didn't intend to describe herself as an electrical component, but I, you never you, know. You never know with people on the Internet, Rob. You never know. Mm-hmm. Anyway. Uh, 701-293-9000, 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Uh, let's see. Gail emails, you know what it is like to be obsessed, don't you? Please get off the Heidi subject for one day, please. Wow, man, every day you can't just let it go, can you? And yes, when you don't, I turn you off. I haven't talked about Heidi in a while. You know, we've we've done it the last couple of days. I was just looking at my print because this always comes up, right? The Heidi people never want to engage on the actual merits of the arguments or the issues or anything like that. They just want to complain that you would even be critical of Heidi Camp at all. I mean, that's her her whole cabal, her media allies, my colleague Mike McFeely, any of them. You criticize Heidi Heidi Camp. Oh my God, you're obsessed. I mean, I'm, I'm sure they feel free to rant about Donald Trump and Kevin Kramer and Republicans and everything else all day, every day. But heaven forbid somebody criticize the cult of Heidi Heitkamp for crying out loud. She's a she's a public figure that one of the top elected leaders in our state. And, uh, yeah, I'm going to be critical of her. And, yeah, I think this stuff she said about Russia was kind of dumb. And uh, honestly, I, she's making my, my Sunday print columns about this. By the way, the first print column I've had about Heidi Heitkamp in more than a month. My print column's about this. I think she's making a lot of mistakes lately, which is uncharacteristic for her. She is a, whatever else you want to say about her, she is a very skilled, very gifted politician. She's very good at threading the needle. She's very good at her messaging, her tone being spot on. She's just good at it. There's no question about that. But yet lately, she's been making mistakes. And I'm thinking about a lot of things. She's been, she made a mistake, I think, with, um, her campaign throwing a fit because Congressman Kramer got appointed to the uh, the, the uh, conference committee to negotiate the farm bill. A member of her campaign staff described it as politics at its worst. And yet when she herself gets appointed to the conference committee, now she's to, oh, let's be bipartisan. Let's set partisan differences aside. Says the lady who thinks it's politics at its worst for her opponent to be assigned to negotiate the same way she was. Uh, they made a mistake, I think, in coming out against uh, the, the appointment of Drew Wrigley as U.S. Attorney. Wrigley is a popular figure. A lot of people remember his time as U.S. Attorney when he prosecuted the very high-profile Drew Shadeen case during the uh, George W. Bush administration. He's popular. He's well-qualified for that position, and she's out there opposing him. Why? It's, it's pretty clearly political. It's pretty clearly partisan. Now, Heitkamp is always this sort of conniving, grasping, ruthless politician behind the scenes. 
A lot of people don't see that. But behind the curtains, behind the scenes, that's who she is. What she's very good at is portraying herself to the public as being this sort of nice, pragmatic, down-to-earth, North Dakota nice woman. Um, and it's, that's, that's really not, that's really not who, who she You're saying that's not who she is. Yeah. That's not who she is. I got a frog Mm -hmm. in my throat. That's not who she is. Uh, and so I, I always think it's interesting because listen, all politicians play, most of them are playing a part. There's very few that are authentic. Most of them are playing a part out on the campaign trail. Their their public persona is sort of a character that they play. And it's very rare, I, I think with the good politicians, it's very rare that the mask slips and you see what's behind it. And I think in recent weeks, I think the mask's been slipping. I mean, Hike Gibbs talking to Breitbart. She gave an exclusive interview to Breitbart about, about border security. Breitbart, who her liberal base thinks is a den of white supremacy on the internet. She gives them an exclusive interview about border security. Why? Uh, because she wants people to think that she's a border hawk this election cycle. I did not anyway, hear about we'll that keep, at all. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about it more coming up. 701-293-9000-888-970-9329. Email talk at WDA1.com. We'll be right back. Don't go away. Welcome back, Rob Report. Ben, you'll be happy to know the listeners have uh, come to my defense. Yeah, I saw. We uh, on um, on Twitter, Josh says uh, I listen to your show often, and I agree with you on Hike Camp. Uh, Kermit says uh, Rob Porches speaks from a different point of view. Just saying. Uh, let's see. Another one says, uh, emailer says, uh, hi, Rob, I like your show, and I think you bring up important and timely topics. Keep up the good work from a non-resistor. <laughs> I like that one. That was a good one. Uh, yeah, the, the person on Twitter, I kind of I kind of threw some shade back at him. I'm pretty sure you're not intending to refer to yourself as an electrical component. She's like, oh, fixing my grammar, that's all you got. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well. Uh, let's see. Liz on Facebook says, if the Democrats are so concerned with the Russians meddling in battleground states, shouldn't they be concerned with the deceased in illegals voting? Hmm. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Right. Yeah. We're, we're all so concerned. They're, they're so concerned about Russians meddling in the election. But these same group of people have been telling us for years that, say, voter ID laws in North Dakota are just completely unnecessary. How do you, how, I mean, how do Democrats... I, I don't know. I don't know how you you juxtapose those two positions and say these are consistent with one another. How do you how do you do that? You could for for years they've been saying as North Dakota Republicans have been working with uh, trying to 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 get a, a voter ID law in place that will pass you know this sort of arcane federal muster that the courts have said because the federal courts have been absolutely ridiculous on this issue, but. You know, we've been working hard to get a voter ID law, an iteration of a voter ID law that'll work. The whole time, North Dakota Democrats have been saying, oh, it's voter suppression. Heidi Heitkamp herself is on the record saying that North Dakota's voter ID laws are, are an attempt at voter suppression. Right? So there's that. But yet now Senator Heitkamp is, is wringing her hands about the potential. Lloyd Omdahl's in a column, kind of a nutty column, wringing his hands about the potential for Russian meddling in our elections. Well, if they really feel that way, then what's wrong with an ID law? Like, if that's what you're really worried about, and I don't know, maybe that's not the avenue that Russians would take. Obviously, uh, you know, I don't... 
I don't think the Russians are probably going to do much of anything. I, I think I think at most in the 2018 elections, what the Russians are going to probably do is try to do some of the fake news stuff. That's really all they did in 2016. Right. I mean, it was mostly they operate on like Facebook and Twitter, spreading misinformation. Yeah. And they did. They did some social yeah. media advertising. They they did. They created some accounts and some misleading stuff. Uh, and then they they did some propaganda out there and just kind of and and from there we have spun this this narrative about Russians having tipped the 2016 election to Donald Trump and now Democrats are talking about it here in North Dakota. Uh, I think it's a little absurd. Uh, is it the potential that Russians could do some like fake news type stuff in North Dakota Senate race? Certainly, it's I mean it's it's one of the most nationally prominent congressional races in the country. So yeah, I, I suppose they could. Is it likely to sway many voters? I don't think so. But if but if Democrats really are secure, I, I think Liz makes an excellent point. If if North Dakota Democrats are really concerned about the sanctity of the ballot box, then. Why are they been so opposed to voter ID? I mean, they always say, oh, there's no evidence of any voter fraud in North Dakota. Well, you know, there's no evidence of Russians meddling in North Dakota's elections either, but that's not stopping Lloyd Omdahl or Heidi Heitkamp. 701-293-9000, email talk at WDAY.com. Another emailer says, I can't buy anything the Democrats are trying to sell. It always becomes the same old bait and switch. I mean, this isn't even a bait and switch, though, with the election security stuff. It's just... It's just it's just kind of just saying whatever works in the moment without any concern towards being consistent. By the way, speaking of which, Heidi Heitkamp uh, gave an exclusive interview to Breitbart. Bright, yeah, that Breitbart. Which, yeah, that's shocking to me. Yeah. With how far to the right they are. Yeah. So yeah. She went on, I mean, Heitkamp's Democratic base, which admittedly does not make up a very large part of the North Dakota electorate, but her Democratic base, I mean, their default position is that Breitbart is a digital den for white nationalists. I mean, that's just, I mean, Steve, Steve Bannon, who was a former, what was the editor in chief or publisher? I don't forget what his title was, but the former head of Breitbart, before going to work for the Trump administration and the Trump campaign. Like, they call him routinely a white nationalist. And now Senator Heitkamp gives an exclusive interview to Breitbart and uh, touting herself as a border hawk. This is what she says to Breitbart. I've always supported increased and enhanced border security along our southern border with Mexico, including physical barriers, sensors, drones, and more resources at our ports of entry, and yes, wall funding as well. My votes clearly reflect a commitment to robust border security funding. Now, it's obvious Senator Heitkamp's worried about her, the perception of her on this issue. I mean, you look at that that ad that we've, we've actually had a lot of callers about it, that Arlen Rasmussen ad, the former uh, police chief West Fargo guy, yep. describes himself as a uh, as a Trump voter. What's he talking about in that ad? He is talking about Senator Heitkamp's votes in favor of border security. So Senator Heitkamp clearly feels vulnerable on this issue, clearly see, feels so vulnerable on the issue, she has to go talk to Breitbart about it to establish herself as a as a border hawk. But yeah, here's it. She says, I've always supported increase and enhanced border security along our southwest border with Mexico. That's what she tells Breitbart. Uh, well, last year, she said in a committee hearing, quote, I just wish we could get beyond it, talking about the border wall. Uh, she voted against a border fence in 2013. She voted against cracking down on sanctuary cities in 2015, 2016, and 2018. Which, by the way, I don't think I need to tell you folks that sanctuary cities 
are a key draw to illegal immigrants across the border. They feel like if they could get across the border, they can get to a sanctuary city. They can remain in our country illegally without having to worry. It's kind of a honeypot bringing them in. So you got that going on. Oh, and by the way, this year, earlier this year, Senator Heitkamp voted for legislation which would have provided permanent residence for illegal immigrants without funding a border wall. And there was a deal on the table, if I remember correctly, I believe there's a deal on the table at the time of the Trump administration saying that he would he would give amnesty to the, the, the so-called dreamers. What is it? Something like 700,000 so-called dreamers. He would give them amnesty in, in exchange for border wall funding. Senator Heitkamp didn't support that. So it's, it's, it's frustrating to me that this is what's going on, that Senator Heitkamp's posturing herself like this. And then the problem is, is when somebody like me wants to point out what, what I think it could fairly be described as hypocrisy, right? If, 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 if it's, it's hypocrisy, right? You can't, you can't vote against funding for a border wall and then turn around and say, I've always supported increased and enhanced border security. Like, you can't, you can't do those things. You can't vote against a border fence in 2013 and say, well, I've always supported increase, including physical barriers. You can't be a liberal Democrat and then in an election year start pitching yourself as a border hawk to Breitbart. I, it's, it's hypocrisy. Caller off air called in and says she wanted to point out the Democrats in Florida are also playing the Russia card. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised. You know, I, at this point, I think what's happening, Senator Heitkamp's losing this race. I, it doesn't, I'm not saying that she's going to lose. I'm saying that in this moment, I think she's, she's behind. And she is furiously trying to muddy the water. She is furiously, I think, at this point, just sort of throwing everything against the wall to see what sticks. Whether it's the Breitbart thing, whether it's the Russia thing, whatever it takes, she's just throwing it against the wall trying to get something to work. And uh, I, I guess we'll see if it works or not. I don't know if it will. And meanwhile, any of us who get who speak out about it, they're going to get attacked by her brother on the radio show, going to get attacked by her media surrogates, because how dare you criticize Heidi Heitkamp? Oh, you must be obsessed with her. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDYAM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Eyes that burn like Welcome back, Rob Report, 970 WDYAM, 93.1 FM, 702-939-9789-709-329. Email talk at WDY.com. You can tweet me, too, at Rob Port. Lots of people do while we're on air. Um, let's see. I'm actually just reading some tweets here. All right, we're going to keep going. Uh, which, uh, the, the high camp thing, I, again, I, I think she's behind. I think she's desperate. I think she's making mistakes that are uncharacteristic. Um, but we'll see how this all plays out. The Russian thing, I think, was dumb, especially given how Senator Heitkamp has been trying to snuggle herself up with President Trump. I think I think playing footsie with Russian conspiracy theories is maybe not the best way to win over Trump voters, which she's going to need if she wants to win election in North Dakota. You know, given given how much of the vote Trump got in 2016, a statewide candidate doesn't win in North Dakota without getting at least some people who voted for Donald Trump to vote for them. So that's uh, that's just the way it is. Hey, are, are you hearing about this uh, this new white supremacist rally that's coming for Washington D.C.? No, I haven't. Every everybody's sort of girding up for it. A lot mm-hmm. of people after after what happened in Charlottesville. Right. I mean, that got that got ugly. That got horrible. Mm-hmm. 
um, we're gearing up for this. And, and obviously it's you have what's interesting is like the white nationalists. There's going to be like 400 of them in Lafayette Square across from the White House. Uh, and it's this is on the anniversary of the Charlottesville protest. Uh, and then as many as 1,500 counter-protesters are expected to come there as well. And I'm wondering, what would happen if the counter-protesters just didn't show up? I don't know. Like, what happened if we just didn't cover this, That if we just didn't pay that much attention to this? I mean... If we just let them do it, but, like, nobody sent any cameras and just ignored them? Just let them let them do it. You know, they can hold their citizens. They have First Amendment rights. Let them do it. Uh, and even cover it, I guess, if you want to. But I guess why why show up with the counter-protesters? I, I mean, I honestly, I think they're doing more harm than good. And I'm not saying that, that white nationalism isn't worth pushing back against. It's not, I'm not saying that white nationalism isn't worth resisting. Mm-hmm. It's an ugly, hateful ideology. It's a very stupid ideology. It should be rebutted. It should be resisted. But I don't think showing up and, like, throwing stuff at them, I don't think showing up and trying to beat them up, is helping anything. And that's what happened in Charlottesville, right? That's what's happened at a lot of these protests. Not all of them involve white nationalists, but what happens is a certain faction of the left shows up and tries to just beat everybody up. And I don't, I don't think that helps. I, I think it's, I think it's a danger when you're talking about controversial speech. I think it, and it, it especially hateful, bigoted speech, like what you would get from white supremacists. I don't think it, you do yourself any favor by trying to suppress them. I think you try to suppress them, you turn them into martyrs. Right. Well, and you shouldn't be normalizing violence as like a means to to suppress your political opponents. Like debate them on their ideas. Don't clock them. Yeah. Yeah. Like if you want to, if you want to, if you want to rebut them, hold a, hold a rally, but hold it somewhere else the same day. And don't like go over there and try to beat them up. Like hold it somewhere else. Get your media coverage as well. And make it clear there are people who resist you. If you're going to do it, do it that way. But you show up with shields and you turn it into a brawl, a big fist fight. And what it comes out is that you kind of, you're, you're getting down in the mud with them. And you, you kind of leave yourself looking like you're not really that much better. Because what white supremacists are, I mean, they're people with, with, with a point of view that's ugly and stupid. And a lot of them think that they can get their way through intimidation, through fear, through terrorism. And if you show up and, and you beat them up, then how are you any different? From a moral perspective, how are you any different if you're beating up people that you disagree with, even if the people that you're disagreeing with are morally repugnant? I mean, I, to, to me, I just, just don't show up. I mean, you want to take the wind out of the sails of this movement. What if they hold a rally and uh, nobody really showed up? Nobody just just to, to show nobody's interested in what they have the, to the, say. The greater public gave them a collective shrug. Like we don't we don't care what you have to say. We don't want any part of it. So you're it's stupid. Not be you're marginal. We don't care. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and rant because you have the same First Amendment rights everybody else does. Mm-hmm. You have the same freedom. We're we're going to extend to you the same courtesy for freedom of speech that everybody should get, no matter how repugnant their views are. But outside of that, we're just going to move on with our lives because you don't matter. I think that's a better way to handle it, but what do I know? 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. We'll be right back. Al Jagger, Secretary of State, is going to join us. He's on the ballot 
as an independent this cycle. We'll talk with him about how that's going. Also, a debate over civil asset forfeiture with the North, uh, North Dakota prosecutor. That's coming up at 1.30. This is the Rob Report. Stay tuned. Welcome back. Hour 2, Rob Report, 970 WDIM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com. All right, so my guest now is uh, Al Jagger. He's been our Secretary of State since the 90s. Uh, but this cycle, as we just learned in the headlines, he had to be on the ballot uh, as an independent. He turned in his signatures to the Secretary, well, to his own office, uh, to uh, to put himself on the ballot as an independent. Al, welcome to the program. How are you? I'm doing great. Now, first of all, explain it, because I, I saw that you mentioned that you wouldn't be part of, of the process verifying the signatures that you submitted, which obviously there's there's a bit of a conflict of interest there. Uh, for people, I don't know that anybody's really worried about this, but I mean, just can you just explain how that process works? Well, regardless of what the petition is, whether it's a petition to put a measure on the ballot or candidate petitions like, like these, there's a lot of offices, for instance, like court positions in the Supreme Court that require signatures and a lot of other things. Uh, those are brought in, and, and my election specialist, uh, Leanne Oliver, uh, that's her job. She checks through all of the petitions. I never I never really see uh, those petitions. Uh, I do get involved uh, once in a while when questions or concerns come up on the petitions that are related to measures, particularly if we if Leanne starts seeing things that uh, are raising red flags, and and uh, as we have discovered over the years, uh, then then I become involved. But uh, you know, as such, if everything strikes as normal, uh, I'm not involved at all. So this petition is not being handled any differently than any others that are are, are brought into the office. Now, uh, through no no fault of yours, the um, you, your your path to the general election this year has been. Uh, a little convoluted uh, compared to, to previous election cycles uh, because, you know, obviously we had had the situation with, with Will Gardner and he had to withdraw from the ballot. But, I mean, this this cycle you're, you're on as an independent um, for what I'm assuming is the first time in your political career. Taz, I mean, what's what's that like? I mean, what's what's it like to be on on the ballot with no partisan affiliation? Well, you know, obviously that's different, but but the underlying thing is is that I have the full support of the Republican Party. Um, you know, even circulating the petitions, the the number of of people that uh, I didn't have to go out and solicit people to to circulate the petitions. People asked me for the petitions so that they could circulate them. So, uh, you know, just the uh, the Republicans in general are are fully behind me. I'm involved in all of the Republican meetings. I'm in involved in all of the uh, campaign uh, strategy uh, you know i'm going to the events i'm uh, anything with parades I'm, I'm with my republican colleagues so uh, you know everything i'm doing and everything the party is doing i'm, I'm a republican and uh, the only difference is that because of the circumstances i'll be on the ballot as an independent and and um, my name will be there and and hopefully it won't make any difference what's underneath uh, right now, the way it stands, there uh, there is uh, only going to be two names on the ballot. Uh, I suppose that that could change if the recount for Roland Reimers would would change anything, but uh, right now it will only be two of us. 
So is uh, obviously like and like you said, I, I should have mentioned that the North Dakota Republican Party has has issued a, a statement and endorsing you and you have the full support of the party. I mean, as as a practical matter on the ballot, you won't be affiliated with the Republican Party, but uh, out on the campaign trail, you, you certainly will have sort of support of Republicans. What I've been reading messaging from the Democrats and messaging from your opponent, uh, Josh Boucher, you know, what a lot of them have been saying is that, well, you know, the, the Republicans rejected him at their convention. Now they're just coming back to him as a as a, uh, you know, a, a, a last resort after Will Gardner. What's what's your response to that criticism? Well, first of all, I don't pay any attention to whatever they're putting out. The fact is, is that uh, there are a lot of Republicans that weren't at that convention that uh, were not uh, happy with what happened there. Uh, the fact is, is that uh, I'm getting tremendous support from from Republicans uh, uh, because of my late start. We're just really starting in the fundraising and the response from people has been uh, overwhelming in terms of the support. And so, you know, that's something they can certainly, you know, say, but uh, I don't think it's going to mean anything to the you know population out there and particularly to the to uh, most of the Republicans, because uh, they're certainly behind me. I, I hear, it, you know, every day. Uh, you know, they're happy to have me on the ballot. And so are, are people uh, who uh, are Democrats. I, I have a I have a long time uh, Democrat supporter who who asked for a petition so that they could circulate it. And that was turned in with uh, uh, several signatures. So uh, I, I'm not concerned about uh, about those type of, uh, you know, things that they circulate. That's up to them. I'm I'm campaigning uh, on my record what my vision is for the office going forward, and I'm not concerned about anything that they say. Now, uh, you you do make a point. Uh, the, the NDGOP convention is just a convention. Those are the delegates that are there, and, and obviously the North Dakota Republican Party is is bigger than the delegates who are in that room. But just, just as a rebuttal to that, at the convention you also decided not to go to a primary, which would have put the issue of your candidacy before statewide Republicans. Do you regret that decision now? Well, I certainly had some second thoughts afterwards. That's something that I had very seriously considered. But there are a number of factors that entered in into my decision in terms of what I did. Uh, some of it was related to family. Uh, some of it was related to, uh, you know, the, the party. And, uh, you know, the fact that I made that decision uh, uh, has actually proven to be helpful because uh, people uh, – you know, felt that I honored honored what happened at the convention, and now uh, because I did, uh, they're fully behind me under the circumstances. So that's been very gratifying. Do you uh, why why you and not Josh Boucher? Why why should North Dakota continue to have you in this office and and not elect somebody new like like Mr. Boucher? Well, you know, again, I can't comment about him. What I you know what I have is I have long time uh, a record of accomplishment. Uh, we have a lot of things going on. Here in the office, uh, you know, there's a lot of things keep, uh, that keep being brought up about technology, and and the, the fact is, is if if you know people really look at it and examine it, uh, they know that we've had a very successful uh, technology project that's over two years running, 24/7, that's uh, going flawless. Uh, it's something that the public doesn't direct directly have access to, but it, it really impacts the. Uh, uh, commercial enterprise in North Dakota in terms of of, of, of the central indexing system, uh, 350,000 files. Our first stop um, um, 
software project uh, will be launched this fall. Uh, that'll pretty much put everything that we have in the office online. We have a very complex office. Uh, this has been under development for three years. It was passed in the 2015 session, and, and Representative Boshi uh, voted in favor of the funding that that uh, two pieces of legislation that uh, provided the funding for this project. So, you know, we have this underway. Uh, we need a new voting system. That's going to, uh, you know, very crucial. Want to carry through on that. And then even this online is going to change the operations of our office. I have an excellent staff. Uh, the continuity to carry that all through as we uh, change in terms of how we do operations is important. And so I think I'm. I have a lot of qualifications, a good record, um, and uh, a good vision for what happens in the future. So I, uh, hopefully uh, the voters of North Dakota will again allow me to serve them, and I look forward to doing that. Do you feel like our, our, our elections are secure? And I, 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 I want to, because obviously we're seeing a lot of uh, concern at the national level about the possibility for for Russia or or other actors with malfeasance in their hearts um, meddling in our elections, uh, and then certainly we just had Senator Heidi Heitkamp uh, say that that you know she's concerned about you know Russia potentially uh, meddling with with our elections. Can, can you tell us? I mean, what what measures have we taken to ensure that that you know our, the, the the votes that we cast here coming up in in this election cycle are going to be you know, secure and aren't going to be, um, you know, either modified in some way or um, offset by, you know, cal ballots cast fraudulently. Are, are, are we in good shape? Well, yes, we are. And I think we have to separate these issues. Everything that they're talking about in terms of uh, the Russia impacting elections, uh, this was even brought out in the DHS uh, briefings that we've had over the last couple of years uh, that at all when they talk about a Russian influence or impact, that, that was all done on social media. Uh, there is an evidence that uh, they were able to uh, really uh, uh, infiltrate, uh, hack uh, any election system and, you know, where the ballots are actually counted. And so, you know, the other part is is the election process. We have to keep in mind that we have 53 counties. Um, each uh, you know balloting lo location or each polling location has a has a scanner uh, that counts the ballots. Uh, those those machines are not connected to any type of internet. Uh, they're not you know on any kind of network. And so in the evening when the election board um, uh, takes the tally, uh, there's a not only is there a a card where where the results are recorded electronically, um, but also there's a paper uh, trail that's printed out. So, uh, you know, we know what the you know the paper paper uh, matches uh, the other part, and and that uh, where the information is um, stored electronically, that's brought into the county, and that's transmitted over a, a private secure line that doesn't have any outside connection, and so from that. For the security and the integrity of the election process, as far as voting, uh, that's secure. And uh, everything that, that we do, uh, also the state's information technology department has a, a, a security team. Uh, anything that might be a, a subject to you know compromise in any way is constantly uh, uh, checked out and, and what have you. So, 
So the election process and the, and the counting of, of the votes, uh, that definitely is secure. Everything else in terms of what they might want to do to influence the election on social media, that's something that, that's way beyond you know this office. Uh, but I can assure the people that their vote will be counted correctly. Al, thanks for your time. Appreciate it. And uh, certainly looking forward to this race unfolding and, 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 and watching the debate. Well, thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Thank you. That's Secretary of State Al Jagger. This is the Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM, 93.1 FM, 701-293-9000, Email talk at WDAY.com if you want to join the program. Uh, coming up here at 130, we're going to have a little debate about civil asset forfeiture with a a uh, prosecutor in our state. That's right. Somebody who actually applies this law. We're going to be talking with him uh, coming up. That's at 130. We'll be right back after this. So go away. Welcome back, Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM. Coming up for the next segment, we're going to have a little debate, debate about civil asset forfeiture, which is, well, there's been a couple of uh, cases out of Jamestown uh, where cases were dismissed because law enforcement violated the constitutional rights of the people they seized the drugs from, but then the cops decided they were going to keep things like vehicles and money anyway. Uh, we had another recent headline about a, a protester who was acquitted at trial of charges stemming from the uh, the protests against the Dakota Access Pipeline, still can't get his truck back from the state of North Dakota. Um, but meanwhile, I mean, basically civil asset forfeiture is where the, the government, if they believe your property was used in a crime, they initiate a separate legal proceeding uh, against the property itself. And if you want to get your property back, it doesn't matter if you're acquitted or it doesn't matter what happens to you in the criminal charges. If you want to get your stuff back, you have to prove that it wasn't used in a crime otherwise the government just keeps it and here in north dakota law enforcement like gets the money from it um now there was legislation from um state representative rick becker in bismarck uh which would have uh ended the practice or modified the practice i should say would have required a uh, a conviction or or pending charges in order for the government to keep the properties and if if the property was ultimately forfeited uh, that money, the revenues would go into the state's general fund as opposed to law enforcement, thus removing any sort of conflict of interest when it comes to, um, you know, the question whether or not to keep the property. Lad Erickson, who is a state's attorney in McLean County, he's going to be on. We're going to have a little debate about that coming up in the next segment. Uh, in the meantime, uh, did you watch this? I like streaming services. I don't have, I don't have cable, Ben. I have mm-hmm. Netflix and Hulu. That's, Same. that's what we use. Um, NBC Universal might reward you for streaming videos. You read, right? This is from Engadget. Reward you, about you this? how? NBC Universal is reportedly planning a different kind of online video service, one that pays you to watch content, not the other way around. Okay, so how do uh, I sign up? The like- Comcast-owned media company is thinking of launching a streaming service known internally as Watchback that will give out rewards you can redeem for gift certificates. It will reportedly feature TV shows and web series, not only from NBC Universal's networks, but as, but such as NBC and Bravo, but also from other sources. I just don't. So wait, they're they're paying you to watch these shows then? Yeah, right. And it's not like you get a paycheck. You get no, you're gonna get like you're gonna get card. like a gift card or something right. like that. I guess. I just don't understand how a business like model like that works. No. Like if it's good content people shouldn't need to be compensated like the, the whole yeah, it, the whole it seems a little desperate it's just like please watch our shows we're going to give you a gift card if you do please this uh, this sounds like in the era i mean it i mean what it's so i kind of feel like there's almost too much content out there 
Yeah. I mean, you don't. It used to be. There's very few shows now that sort of capture like broad attention. It's so fragmented now. I mean, there's a few that still do it. Like Game of Thrones, I think is one. Yeah. Breaking Bad was an example of I think one. Stranger a lot Things of probably. Stranger Things yeah. is a big one. Um, but there's very few because it's so fragmented now, right? I mean, there's so right. many different shows, there's so many different rabbit holes you could go down. Um, and so I, I kind of feel like this is a desperate effort to like just draw eyeballs because it's so it's so fragmented mm-hmm. that I think some shows are having trouble reaching that critical mass of audience size to justify their ongoing production. I think it's tough. I think it's really competitive. But I I just don't know that this is something that's going to work. You know, and, I, and it, granted, I mean, there's not a lot of. There's not a lot of stuff here, but I mean, the whole point of advertising is that you have your popular programming, whether it's a talk radio show or a television show or a movie or what have you. The idea is it's such compelling content that it builds an audience and then people then pay to access that audience. Like, that's how it's supposed to work. I don't understand the whole we're going to pay to, like, develop the audience after the fact. And what, just who cares about the content? Again, it's good content. If it's good content, you should have an audience. Mm-hmm. And if you have an audience, that audience is valuable and you can monetize it. So I don't know. It's a weird world we're living in now, Ben. All right. Debate about civil asset forfeiture. That's coming up next year on The Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. Don't go away. Welcome back to The Rob Report, 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM. All right. Uh, civil forfeiture. Yeah, it's something that we've talked about a lot on this show. It's been talked about a lot. You've probably seen a lot of discussions about it in the national media. There's been some stories about it in the local media. Um, I have with, on with me now is a man who actually uses the process. He uh, works in McLean County. He is a prosecutor there, state's attorney there. Lad Erickson. Lad, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks for having me on, Rob. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Uh, you and I do not agree on this uh, at all. <laughs> And that's what I respect about you, Rob. You know, I write stuff on your site or I come on your show with a total disagreement with your opinion, but you're always open to that, yeah. and I really appreciate that. Well, why don't, why don't you tell us, as, as a practical matter, how does, how does this process work? Well, there's a couple different methods of forfeitures that happen in North Dakota, um, kind of in persona, in REM, um, the legal terms for you English, the property. English, please. People. <laughs> English, please. <laughs> And there's purposes for doing it both ways. Generally, the person is also involved in the criminal system, but that's not always the case. We have innocent owner exceptions, and sometimes that person that may be titled on the vehicle has nothing to do with it, and they're being used as a straw, for example. So we have to prove that they're not involved, and we do that before we file. We call them, and they say, well, I I got rid of that vehicle a couple years ago. I don't know why my name's still on it. And in those cases, you you know, you still have to provide the court with proof that the owner or the registered owner of the vehicle isn't involved in any illegal activity. Um, and we do a lot of forfeitures here because we're on the pipeline into the oil patch. We get a lot of cash in oil in uh, gas tanks or air filters or hidden compartments coming out of the patch. Drugs going in. Um, so you know, part of the practice that I have is to do asset forfeiture in drug cases. Why is it important? I and mean, why does why does law enforcement need this tool? Well, first of all, it's a deterrent, obviously. Uh, you know, if you can take away the cash incentive to uh, you know, deal drugs in North Dakota, that's a deal most of the forfeitures I do involve out of state street gangs or the Mexican cartels ultimately when you get to big forfeitures and you're depriving them of resources. Uh so that's an important tool. Secondly, 
the money is all obviously becomes public money subject to the state auditor review and that and we do train and provide equipment and resources for our officers for better uh you know safe handling i just bought a bunch of body shields for shootings to have in the patrol cars with forfeiture money, for example, which we probably wouldn't budget for if we had to use property tax. We'd probably have a couple instead of having them all readily available if we can use drug money to buy them, that kind of thing. So my, my problem with this, because I, I listen, I, I understand that a lot of the people that you're you're dealing with and you're doing this on are, are not are not good people. They're bad people who are committing crimes and doing bad things. And and it it makes it hard, I think, to articulate my argument against civil asset forfeiture, because what I end up doing is defending people who are not very sympathetic, you know, to to the general public. My problem, though, is that the, the way this works is that there are there are instances where Either somebody can be acquitted, as we saw with the recent case with a with with a protester uh, in, who was in the the pipeline, the code access pipeline protest, who was acquitted, uh, but yet the state continues to hold his truck or charges dismissed. We have a couple of cases out of Stutzman County, Jamestown, where um, you know the, a judge found that that law enforcement violated the constitutional rights of of people who were accused of transporting drugs. Evidence was suppressed, charges were dropped, and yet. The sheriff's department there says they're they're still considering, uh, you know, keeping the uh the so, so, some a, a vehicle and, and some cash that they seized. Now I I hear that and that that sounds unjust to me and I and I realize yeah it it probably is a deterrent to people transporting drugs or whatever. But on the other hand, if you don't get a conviction or you don't have charges pending against somebody, why on earth should you get to keep their property? You know, Rob, you're, we may or may not be in that far of a disagreement. Number one, that Dapple case has got some strange facts where the judge made them forfeit it while there were still pending cases if they wanted to hold it, and they had multiple cases involving that vehicle. And so they forfeited for reasons. They didn't want the vehicle. You know, they were they don't care. But they had to do it for a legal reason based on a judge ruling. But secondly, in the case law, an unlawful stop, which Dutchman County, if that's what they're doing, is going to just, you know, you really can't forfeit the property. But where I'm at is if we need to put that in black letter statute, that it's some sort of an illegal stop, you cannot forfeit property off. It's basically the practice we have now, so it wouldn't change anything. So I'm not saying there isn't things in the statutes that we shouldn't be looking at doing. But when you say things like there has to be a conviction, the problem I have with that is... The mules bring the cars and the drugs up here. The owners of that stuff are in Mexico or California or Detroit or Chicago, and I'm just naming cases I actually have on forfeitures. And I'm not going to get a conviction on them because I'm not going to charge them. I can prove through the investigation, such as text messages, money grams, different things, that they're heavily involved in trafficking drugs up here, and they have their name on the car, but they're not going to land a state charge. And so... I can't convict the drug source, and what you're doing is saying, okay, we're just going to have to let that money go back to the drug dealers, and I don't want that. And the other Mm. scenario where that comes up, Rob, is, and I think I sent you a case, you know, the drug dealing was happening in Minot, heroin deals. The car came through McLean with the cash from the deals, but there's no drug charge here because the drugs were all sold in Minot. Eventually, they probably got a charge up there, but it's independent of the cash, but I could prove beyond all doubt that was drug money because we had serialized controlled buy money mixed in with the money, $25,000 that was found in the air cleaner. 
Yeah. And you're saying, I, okay, I, would, I don't convict the guy driving the car. He gets the 25 grand for selling heroin see, here, in my eyes. And that's the stuff you're getting blowback from law enforcement okay. or people like right. me saying, wait a minute, we are not abusing this. You know? Well, I don't. Well, maybe we're not in North Dakota. I think there's certainly evidence where it's been abused elsewhere. I mean, I've watched, I watched a story not that long ago on a, a, where law enforcement agencies were competing with one another. I mean, you actually had squad cars like blocking one another in for the opportunity to pull people over so that they could seize seize property because it was a big revenue source. I mean, that was actually happening. Now, granted, that was in another part of the country, but it does get abused. Well, and and I, th- I think I think there is also a philosophical argument. Now I understand what you're saying, where uh, you know uh, maybe a, a drug boss uh, owns the car, uh, and then we're going to return the car to him because we didn't convict the drug boss; we convicted the people who were in car with with the drugs. I would be willing to go so far as to say that you could seize property that was used in a crime, even if it was like an owner lending the car to somebody. Like if if I loan my car to a buddy and my buddy gets busted. Uh, transporting a bunch of heroin and I lose my car, well, then I guess too bad for me. Uh, I loaned my car to the wrong person. Um, I guess lesson learned. I, I would even be okay with that. My problem, though, is if you end up not convicting anybody or the charges get dismissed against anybody and, and not even the person who was in the car, even if they're not the owner, and you're still seizing the property, I mean, to me, I, I like to think that everybody's innocent until proven guilty. If you can't if you can't convict them, a person for the crime, how in the world can you keep the property? That's that's what I worry about. Yeah, and that's where I said. I mean, you're right. In those scenarios where the defendant is driving the car, it's his car, and he gets acquitted. You know, that's probably one where I would agree that that's probably a you know a forfeiture shouldn't probably occur. But the problem comes in, and the reality of it is, you know, is you have people that are innocent owners or or uh, you know, we have to prove in under North Dakota state law, we have to prove there's no innocent owner involved. If, if some parents, bar, you know, the kid borrows the car and goes deals meth out of it and it gets stopped and they own the car, you can't seize that under North Dakota law. But you, if you prove the parents were involved in the drug dealing through messaging or through the investigation, you can go before a judge and say, "Yeah, it's their car, but they're also involved in this," and we could do it that way. But we're not going to maybe convict the parents in that scenario because they're involved in it or they let somebody do it, and that's where we—that's a frequent occurrence with out-of-state gangs, like the Bakersfield gang that's had some shootings in Minot and. Dickinson had some murders there, and we see stuff of theirs, in, you know, coming through here. You know, we're not going to get the gang heads up here for a state charge, but we can just prove that they're sending the cars up here with drugs, and that's the standard we have now. And what I get concerned about when I hear things like you have to have a conviction, that means you're not going to consider any facts of the particular case. You know, a deputy pulls over two million dollars in a gas tank, heading back to Mexico. We're not going to convict the, you know, the people in Mexico of anything, so the money has to go to them. And that's where I want to make sure we maintain common sense flexibility. Yeah. One of the problems I saw with the Institute of Justice, and they were up here last session, and I was in the Senate when their lawyer testified, and he said, we haven't found his testimonies in the record. We didn't find any abuse of civil forfeiture in North Dakota. We rate us an F under their grading system because of some of the philosophical things that we do, but didn't find that we were abusing I think the it. philosophical things are important, though. I mean, no, I, I understand, I, I, I but 
he didn't. He, when they say "f," they don't mean we're out here abusing people's rights yeah. in North Dakota. He had no evidence of that. And so, what we yeah, the problem with no evidence though is successful in like North yeah. Carolina. If you look on their website, one of the things that happens is the forfeitures all go federal instead of staying in state court, and you don't gain anything from a civil rights point of view because it just means that the federal government now does the forfeitures instead of the, so the, the federal government's going to violate our civil rights as opposed to the state. That's well, that's great. If you look at it from a common sense point of view, I'll give them an F on that. You go eliminate state and local control over this, then the federal government steps in. Exactly the opposite of what a libertarian think tank should be doing. Yeah. Well, it sounds like we need to fix it at the federal level as well. I, I, you, I, I hope you understand what I'm concerned about. I, I don't, I don't want to do anything that benefits drug cartels, and I don't want to just create a situation where they just get their money back or get their cars back. That said... I also don't think that the state should be able to keep property if they can't make their conviction. If if, if you can't convict, and, I, and I'm not even talking about necessarily the owner of the property or the person who had the pro- the cash or the house or the car or what have you. I'm not even necessarily talking about that. I'm just saying if a person is convicted in there, then I, I'm even willing to go so far. Okay, owner, uh, you know you you should have been aware. I, I'm even willing to go that far. But if you don't convict anybody, I mean, to me, I think those are the ones where where people are. Are afraid, and and I'll tell you, the Stutzman County Sheriff's Department. It's right in. I mean, they told the media, uh, we're still considering seizing their their car and cash. They dismissed the charges, lad. That's not right. No, I you know I understand that point, Rob. But how do you how do you deal with like the scenario where the cash alone is coming through the county? You can prove the cash is all drug money. You can prove that beyond a doubt. Let's say, but you don't have any drugs to convict anybody. It's not a it's not a criminal law. To, to be holding a hundred thousand dollars of cash in your gas tank, right? So, how, how, I'm not going to get a criminal charge there, right? The drugs are all dealt in Minot or up in the up in the oil patch, and then that's a frequent stop for us, you know. And maybe not that dollar amount; it's more like twenty five, thirty thousand usually when we do them. But it, what under your theory that you have to have a conviction? How do I do that? I, I don't know how to do that when I could prove I it's drug money, but I don't have the drugs. I don't know. They already sold them, but I. I'll, I'll tell you, I mean, if, if we're going to err on one side or the other, I would rather err on the side of, of, of giving the money back than, than taking the money absent. Because that, then what, what is, what is innocent until proven guilty means? I don't have a charge. I'm not convicted of anything, but you take the property I had anyway. So you're kind of still saying I'm guilty. And I, I have a problem with that philosophically. But lad, we are, we are flat out of time. So I'm sorry. I, I wish we're going to keep this debate going. And I think you're going to write something up for sayanythingblog.com at some point. So we're going to keep this debate going. Thank you for coming on today. Hey, thanks, Rob. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you, lad. Uh, more to come straight ahead. We'll wrap things up right after this. Don't go away. Welcome back to Rob Report 970 WDYM 93.1 FM 701-293-9000 888-970-9329. Email talk at WDAY.com. Couple minutes left. Uh, the civil asset forfeiture thing, I, I don't know. I, I understand the point he's making, Ben, that, that it's an effective tool as a deterrent. And I'm even willing to go so far. I mean, if you loan your car to somebody and then they use it for an illegal activity and it ends up getting seized by the government, then, you know, lesson learned for you, yeah. I guess. Maybe that's unfair, but you know what? Mm-hmm. Life's unfair. My problem is the government doesn't get a conviction at all. Uh, I don't think they should get to keep the property. That's that's my problem. Mm-hmm. But we'll have to keep that debate going. Uh, that's it for me today. I'll be back next week. You can always catch me here 12 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday on 970 WDAY AM 93.1 FM or, of course, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at SayAnythingsBlog.com. Thanks for listening. We'll talk again.